So while you're finding your way to Philippians 2, um, Gene, I just a little by way of introduction, most of y'all have seen us. Uh, we've been here about five years, Gene and I. Um, we were attracted to this. We loved the Word of God. That was a common in our court, courtship 32 years ago. And we've, we've uh, been in a church that we love very much. Uh, but we found the Word of God here to be just penetrating. And I guess you could say that we've loved the Lord for a long time separately. We came together 33 years ago. <clears throat> And came to know each other with the commonality of uh, loving the Lord, loving the Word of God. And so when we heard the preaching here, it's kind of a second revival for each of us that we've been through. The Word is just so alive. And I, I have, I'm in awe of the pulpit here. I'm glad to give Jeff a break. I know that ministers through the years need a sabbatical. It's so good to get away from it for a while probably. But you can tell he loves doing it. And so it's my privilege to be a little substitute today and bring a little <coughs> a lesson from Philippians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> when, when Gene and I got married. Uh, Eleven months later we had a child and then every two years we had boy, girl, boy, girl. So we got four and they're all in their 20s now. And uh, the youngest one just got married two weeks ago in our backyard and it was a lot of fun uh, to do that. And then uh, any day now we're kind of Russ and Kim and me and Gene are racing to the grandparent uh, tr trip because they're, they're expecting their first and as old as I am we got married. I got married later in life. But uh, well, this will be our first grandchild and could come any, any minute now. So I might leave here in about five or ten minutes if we get a call. <laughs> and somebody wanted me to mention that I know that Russ plugged me last week. He said next week Billy High, high Socks will be in the pulpit. And I'm wearing long pants today. I just couldn't bring myself to wearing shorts. But I did want to give you this in case that's why you came for <laughs> But I still got it if that's why you came. <laughs> So, into Philippians 2, it's always good to get a little context. If you're in 2, and you look back a little bit in a few verses in the end of chapter 1, Paul is mentioning some kind of warfare terms, like in verse 27, they were striving together. In verse 28, there are adversities. I want to push this down a little bit. Maybe down a little bit. Uh, they were striving together. In verse 28, there, there were adversities. Verse 29, we're suffering for his sake. Verse 30, there's a conflict going on. So you see all these terms that probably just wear people out with the warfare. So I, I could kind of bring my, my, the theme of today to a little point and say that when you're fighting externally, when the battle's out there, it's good to home sweet home to have things peaceful. It's, it's, we can fight the external battles if internally within your home, within your church, there's peace and unity. But if you have to work all day fighting those battles and you come home and there's no peace in the church, there's no peace in the family, there's no peace at home, that makes it particularly tough. There's external battles and there's internal battles. And Paul is very discerning as a pastor, as a man of God, as an apostle with all the discernment the Spirit gives him. And especially as he's got the pen in hand writing the Holy Scripture, it was all ordained that he talk about this unity because he knew how important that is. Maybe you've experienced that, that no matter what happens on the outside, when you come home to a loving family, when you come into a loving church, it's a real recharge. It's a, a real peaceful thing. It's very necessary that we're not fighting all the time. And that's why I mentioned, Jeff, um, I, can't, I can't imagine the warfare just uh, physically uh, going through life, the trials and tribulation everybody has, the spiritual battles that a, that a man of God would have to do to be in the pulpit every week, week after week, come with the Word of God, and it just can wear a person down. 
But when there's unity and love and fellowship, it's a wonderful recharge. And that's what Paul is seeing. You'll see in chapter 4, Philippians was a wonderful church. He loved them and they loved him and they were quite mature. Not, not the problems that the Corinthians had or the Galatians had. But there was something subtle that, and I think it's chapter 4 verse 2, he says, I beseech Iodia and Syntyche that they be of the same mind. Apparently there was a little bit of squabble and he's trying to, like, like Barney Fife would say, he's nipping it in the bud. He's trying to deal with it here. So that's why he starts out in this context of chapter 2. Now we read, if therefore, if there be therefore, so that word therefore refers to because of all this conflict, let's talk about some good things of home sweet home, the, the ideal family, the ideal church, the ideal soul. Let's talk about the peace. So he mentions He's got four rhetorical questions here. He says, if there, there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, your Bible might say encouragement in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels or, or affection and mercies. Well, of course, the answer to that in Christ is, of course, there is. It's like, is it, if, if water's wet, you know, if, of course, this is the answer in Christ. So, I'm going to just take a moment and look at each four of those and think of the answer being, in Christ we find this, and in a healthy church we find this through Christ living in its members and living these things out, the comfort of love, the encouragement, the affection. And a third arena could be, you know, the two institutions that God has set up is with Adam and Eve and the family a long time ago. And then here uh, the church is a new institution. And God protects both of those. God pours into both of those. These are God-ordained, and we can expect His power to work within these institutions. So we can apply this to, uh, let's just look at these questions again. If, if, if there be, therefore, any encouragement in Christ, well... Let's look at Christ the Savior. I was very encouraged when I got saved, when I saw the gospel, the fellowship that I had for Him. He's always encouraged me. He's encouraged me this morning in my quiet times. But let's take it that next step. How about within the church? Um, I was very encouraged by the uh, just seeing the servants here this morning preparing, willing to pray for me. Um, I even got a hug this morning from Jonah. Jonah left and, and uh, came back there before he came on to do his responsibilities. He said, Billy, I didn't need to give you a hug. He gave me a hug. Of course, that's a small thing, but the analogy is there's encouragement in Christ. There's encouragement in the church. And hopefully you feel the same way in your family too, that other institution when you come home. That's what Gene and I want to build. We've, we've been striving for it for the 31 years we've been married now. And we want to continue. We're in that different phase now where there we're empty nesters, but we will still want it to come home a place of rest, come home a place of security. It's a battle. That's our goal. Same thing in the church. The church is always being nipped away at because Satan hates the church and there's a lot of warfare. But Paul is saying, hey, we've got God on our side. Let's look at this. Let's see what we're supposed to do and, and put our hearts to it and work at this. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, I like that verse where it says the God of all comfort. How many, how many funerals have you been to? And look at this poor person, this mother who, who lost her child or this husband who lost his wife or a grandparent or something. And you say, you pray to the Lord, you're the God of all comfort. Only you can comfort certain things. But there is also comfort. And how many Christian brothers and sisters have you found that put your, their arm around you, sent you notes, they know that they care? Yes. The answer is yes. And it's in the family too. And ideally it's in the family. Now the families are under attack too. Just as the institution of the church is under attack, the institution of the family has been attack, under attack. 
Of course, that's simple to understand. Satan hates God and anything he's doing, and this is what God's doing, families and church. So understand the warfare, and let's be brave to uh, do what we can about it as we read the Scripture and we absorb it and are transformed by by the renewing of our mind. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit... I graduated from college uh, 1975, and so it's been a long time ago. Just two years ago, I met with 42 of my classmates, uh, a bunch of guys as fraternity brothers. And uh, I enjoyed my time seeing them. It was interesting for a while, but there was, there was very little fellowship of the Spirit there because there was only a few Christians. It's a whole different realm, and you know what I'm talking about. What, what fellowship means in common? We had basketball in common. We had... Uh, making lots of money in common, uh, how many airplanes do you have in common, and that sort of thing. Uh, drinking beer maybe for some of them was in common, but there's really not the fellowship of the Spirit. And when you're around God's people, you know that. But let's go back to the original. We find this in Christ Himself. His Spirit communes with us in prayer as we listen to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is communicating with us. That's fellowship of the Spirit. But the other opportunity we have is coming into a church. Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? You walk in and see all the cupcakes and the laughing and the making of coffee and the, hey, how you doing? It's just beautiful. And it's, and it's not surface stuff. It doesn't have to be because we've got something very deep. It's not basketball that we share in common. It's not uh, Frisbee golf that we share in common. All those, these things are wonderful tools that God gives us. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same Father. We're in the same family. We're going to spend eternity together. There is fellowship of the Spirit. And then the last part of these four questions is, if, there, if any bowels and mercies or affection. Oh, we're, we're his, read Song of Solomon. He's, he's, a, he's the altogether lovely one, and he calls us altogether beautiful. He's got an affection for us. He loves us enough to go and die for us. He's got great affection. And as we absorb that, we can turn and husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the wives can return that and respect us. And uh, we can love our family. We can love our pastor. We can love our people in our church. It's a, real, a wonderful thing. So the answer to all things, let's just vote on it. Yes, I'd say yes, there is. On all four of those in three different units. So now Paul, now Paul says, because of these things. Now verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that ye being like-minded, having the same love, of being one accord and one mind. Do you see that he's talking about unity here? You see the theme? He goes from uh, the goodies of being uh, in, in the family of God on verse 1 to verse 2. He wants them to have unity. And this is what I was speaking of at the very beginning. This is where we have the battles outside, but we've got to have a place to come where there's unity. It doesn't happen automatically. It's kind of like a garden. When you plant those flowers and when you plant those, that okra, it may come up, but it's going to be challenged by weeds that come a lot faster. I, can, I can't hardly get tomatoes to grow in our garden, but we can get a weed to grow in the concrete. I mean, that says something, doesn't it? It's amazing. And this is the way it is with, um, with, with watching our attitudes. And just, just we need to be diligent. We need to be under the Word of God all the time in communication with Him. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He couldn't use enough illustrations to say, I'm calling for unity, guys. And what is this one mind? I want it to be my mind. And then yet uh, Peter wants it to be his mind. Where do we meet? Of course, we meet in the mind of Christ. And we need to get that through the Word of God, through watching Him, uh, knowing more about Him. So if Paul is uh, asking, what is Paul's, uh, Paul's asking 
This is what would make me joyful if I see you unified. Now, isn't that where this is Father's Day? I'm kind of giving a plug. By the way, I'm uh, six weeks ago. We weren't here whenever Mother's Day was. And Jeff happened to be. And I love this about him. He was going through Isaiah and he ha- and this is Mother's Day. He's like in Isaiah three and it's talking, just ripping up what the Israelite ladies were doing. They were walking with, you know, they were decking themselves out and they were just sending right and left. And so Jeff's right in the middle of dealing with the word of God as God would have him. And he, he looks up and he says, oh, by the way, have I said happy Mother's Day? <laughs> I have it a little easier. I'm not trying to make a Father's Day sermon, but the, the Philippians loved Paul and they wanted to fulfill, they wanted to make their father figure happy. This is what makes them happy, the unity. Uh, I've got some verses I know that Shannon's going to help here. The first one I'd like to see is what makes John happy, the Apostle John. He says in fir, uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, I have no greater joy, so this is what makes him happy, than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, Father, isn't that true when your family gathers together? Yeah, bring us anything. Bring us ties. Give me some cupcakes. But walk in truth. That's it. I have no greater joy. Isn't this a reflection of our the God the Father, too? In fact, we're going we're gonna to look at that next. It's a reflection of, so we look at Paul's joy, unity. John's joy, really the same thing, but they're walking in truth. And when you're walking in truth, you're walking in unity because there's only one truth. Um, and then um, there's a reflection of the Father's glory, uh, the Father's joy. And uh, if, if we go to John 17 slide, this is a kind of a behind the scene beautiful uh, picture that we see. You know, the scenario is this is right. Right before he gets picked up, uh, he's, he's close to being crucified. This is the day before the, the day before he gets picked up and starts the night of, uh, of the trials. And the next day he's crucified and he's praying, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's, this is God the Son praying to God the Father. And we get in on this prayer. I mean, it's a really open the curtain and look at something real special. Think of that. God the Creator Son is talking to God the Father in the presence of John so that he can record this. And he says, Neither do I pray for these alone, which would include his the apostles there, the disciples. There were many of them that loved him. He had had quite a, a following by then. I'm praying for these that, I, that are right here physically with me, Jesus says to the Father. But also for them which shall believe. This has our name on it. This, this says Billy Conroy right here. This has your name on it. But also for them which shall believe on me through their word. And in a sovereign way, he knew that one day in 1975, or whenever your year was, you would open the word of God. He would, your heart would be open. And, and we'd believe on him through their word. And it, it's the word passes. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And the word went from this generation to that generation to all generations. His word is lifted up. And so he's praying for us. And here's what he says. <laughs> kind of what Paul said. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me. It's a picture of the unity. Where, where does the unity really originate from? The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Never an argument, always agreement, totally unified, and yet diversity. Three different personages in one. It's a mystery. I can't explain it. But God is one in three. God the Father. So that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. They'll know they are Christians by their love. So... Now we, we see what verse 2 is about, fulfill you my joy. Um, so he's very practical, though. We want to be unified, but what do we do to be unified? Um, if we read verses 3 and 4, there's a theme to 3 and 4, and let me tell you what that theme is. Humility. So let's read it. Here's how you don't rub people wrong. Here's how you keep unity. 
Here's how we have a place where we can come back from the battle and be encouraged. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Notice it starts in the mind, in lowliness of mind. This is not an outward show. I'm going to God and say, God, I'm, I'm really not better than that person I thought I was, but I'm not. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I just want to stand up and show them how much I know, and I want, I want them to you know, kind of praise me, not God. Talk about me. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's humility. And then he continues on in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also. In other words, you can look on your things, but it's not only that. Let be concerned with others on the things of others. I mean, that's a general statement of interest in each other when we come together. Hey, how's, how's your mother? I know that she's been sick. Is she better? You know, this comes from the heart because we love that person. We esteem him a, a great person because he's one of God's children. He's in our family. Um, okay, so here's my question. How do we, how is humility accomplished? Well, uh, do this and live the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. You know, like, do this, be humble. Let's sit around and talk about who's the most humble. Be humble. I want it to happen. Now, he's got a better way. Um, so, in verse 5, he starts off by saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind, it sounds like it's just a choice. Open the door. It's right there. Let this mind be in you. We're going to look at a verse in a minute that says, You have the mind of Christ. Corinthians told us that. You have the mind of Christ. It happened in salvation. Now, it's not totally mature. It needs to be changed, transformed from glory to glory as we, as we go through the discipline of being a disciple and absorbing His Word and agreeing with His Word and praying about that transforming into His life. But we have the mind of Christ. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we're getting to it. We're going to talk about Christ Jesus here. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, if you'll put the First John, uh, thing up, how, how do we receive His Word? First John chapter three, verse two, says, "Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know this: when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is." This is a principle, like. In the rapture when He comes to get us. It's going to be in the twinkling of the eye. You've, you've read this. We're going to be transformed to be like Him. And how does that take place? Well, when we, as we see Him, we're, we become like Him. And in a smaller way, as we get glimpses of Jesus this morning about His humility and open our hearts, I want to be more humble. Well, I don't have to try harder. I abide in the One who is humble. And He, he works that out in me. So it's through the Word of God. Be transformed. And then uh, another verse would be... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. We're going to hit a lot here, Shannon, and then we'll be done with that for a while. I'm just going to throw my notes on the floor. That'd be easier. <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We need to activate it, though. I, I know I had the mind of Christ in 1975. I can name a lot of years that I wasn't walking very closely to him. It was God's fault, right? No, I didn't apply myself to be transformed from glory to glory by, by getting into the Word of God and asking Him to do that, crying out for wisdom. There's something on our part that we do to make that happen. We have the mind of Christ. And then Romans 12, this is the last of the flurry of verses, and then we'll um, 
just have one or two more. But I, I love the way that we can. Jeff has kind of taught me this just by me observing. He camps out in a book like Isaiah or Habakkuk, but Scripture uh, proves itself as Scripture, and I love that. And sometimes it's hard to race through and catch everybody. So thank you, Shannon, and the whole crew up there that does that. It's a wonderful ministry. Um, can you have Roman? I should have called for Romans 12, 2 here. And you're familiar with this. Be not con- this is that garden idea that you better not just plant the okra and leave it. The, 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 uh, the, the weeds are going to come up. So don't be conformed to this world. If we walk in the world, we're going to have weeds of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good. So we, we need to have our minds renewed. And here you are, I'm preaching to the choir. Here you are on Sunday morning wanting to have your mind renewed. And that's our goal, isn't it? To have our mind, to be more like Jesus today. So Paul, let me give a little summary here and, and race on. Um, Paul is asking for unity in the church by way of humility and our high esteem of others, which can be accomplished by letting the mind of Christ That's our choice. He says, let this mind be in you. By letting the mind of Christ be in you. And how is that accomplished? Through the studying of His Word. Renewing our mind. Being transformed. So you see where we're going with this. There's a pattern there. There's a warfare out there. And we need peace. Well, let's just talk about it. Let's be peaceful. No, God's got a plan and we follow it. And it's laid out in the Word of God. We want unity. We want to walk in in, in truth in the Word of God. Now, we come to... Verses uh, where it says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look. It's great to have a mentor. I've, I've been told, you know, like Paul had Timothy to mentor, and Timothy had Paul. And I've heard, and I think this is a good advice, hopefully there should always be somebody in front of us that we look to for advice, and there should always be somebody, quote, behind us that we're helping out. And fathers <laughs> and grandfathers, we could have that. A father could have the, his father and his son there. Uh, mothers could have the same thing. We all should have somebody to look to. But you know what? It's a great thing to follow men or mentors, but ultimately we're following Christ. And we follow that. Paul said, follow me as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's okay to do that. But ultimately, I've had so many mentors, and I kind of idol- I get to where I idolize them. I just look at what a great guy that is, and then I see one little thing that's not doesn't match up to Scripture, and it kind of busts my bubble. But then I need to realize, well, we're all fallen. Jesus is the only one that's perfect in all ways. Just a little reminder that um, mentors are important, but our eye eventually or ultimately is on Christ. So that's where he says, uh, Christ Jesus, the last word of verse five, and then he says in verse six, who. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery or a thing to be clung to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And these are all part of his humility. As I read these verses, let me tell you a, a perspective on this. Because of a small problem in the, in the, the church at Philippi, the, the Philippians got this letter and endorsed by the Holy Spirit, written every word of it, breathed, God breathed out. But in this little problem of unity is another curtain open, kind of like that John 17 prayer where the son's praying to the father. Now we get to see, wouldn't you like to know, when Jesus was in heaven and the Trinity was talking about this, and Jesus was the one that's going to come down, and he's going to live as a man, and he's going to be fully God and fully man, but not have all the privileges of the Godhead, and he's willing to do that, and it's going to end with him dying a cruel death on the cross. What was Jesus' attitude toward that? If we could understand that, the humility, this is, this is the humility of Christ, you might say these verses as I read them. Think about that. We get to peek inside the curtain and understand what our Lord and Savior, God the Son, the Creator, was going through 
when he said yes to this plan because there was unity in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are, yeah, let's do that. So here's what it looks like. Who being in the form of God, we're going to break this down and, and march through this fairly quickly, but let me just read the whole context. Thought it not a thing to be clung to, to be equal with God. He didn't say, no, I'm not going. He's willing to go. But made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and would made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. This is God becoming obedient. Who does God have to obey? Nobody really, but he became obedient. And how did he come obedient? It's unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, another wherefore. What does God think about that? We'll see in a minute, but let's march through these verses here. He was in the form of God. Uh, Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger of Bethlehem, as a reminder. He is the eternal one. He's always been. He's the creator God. By him, all things were created. So he was in the form of God. That's his essence. It's God. It, it always was. It always was. It always, even during the 33 years, he was still, in essence, he was God. These are hard words to come up with because it's such a mystery, isn't it? But God gives us a few words and the Word of God to try to bring our minds as close to we can. Now we see through a veil darkly, but then face to face. But we can see, don't you want to peel? Don't you want to come up close to this window? This is, to me, a big thing to understand the heart of the one who came in his humility. <clears throat> he thought it robbery to... Do, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Your Bible might say didn't count equality with God a thing to be <clears throat> grasped. He didn't cling to all the privileges of deity, even though he was always fully God. For instance, when he was on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels to come get him, or he could have muscled his way out himself. He chose not to do that because that wasn't according to the plan. He was humble. <sighs> Does God get tired? Not really. Does God get hungry? He doesn't need to eat. But Jesus was, came and he was dependent on his mother Mary for food, for existence. And yet he was still God. So there's a little bit of a glimpse of this humility that he did. And then next in verse 7 it says, um, He made himself of no reputation. A little analogy for, for my little understanding might be a king who loved his people, saying so much, he came disguised as a servant. A, a servant. <laughs> he came disguised as a servant. And he didn't take any privileges that weren't allowed to the common people. And took upon him the form of a servant. He was a servant, wasn't he? He washed feet. He woke up early. And nobody even knew it. We only find out through the gospel that he had woke up and was praying through the night for them. That's a servant. Yet he was their king. 100% king and 100% servant. This is a mystery, isn't it? But it's, it's, it's something we're given to understand. Only the Spirit can teach us what he, we will know about that. <clears throat> and then it says, He was made in the likeness of man. Made. How was He made? It was like a man, but not exactly. And here's the difference. He's made in the likeness of man. He was unique in this way. He, he is fully man and fully God. But here's how He's uniquely made. He was born like no other. The Holy Spirit put Jesus inside of Mary. We don't understand that, do we? Um, she was a virgin. And his father was God. He was begotten at that time, though. He's equal with, with God, but he was begotten. That was his only begotten son. It happened then. <clears throat> he was fully God and fully man. He had no sin nature, and he was perfect. Now, that's how he was made in the 
likeness of man. That's why we have to say in our lingo that he was like a man, but he was so different. He was unique. But he was a servant, and he came willing to do that because that was the plan. What a beautiful plan, isn't it? Now verse, <clears throat> verse 8, we go there and see that, And being found in fashion as a man, so the king of kings became a lowly servant, willing for this assignment, <clears throat> willing for this assignment to not be seen in his glory. You know, when, when we go back to our college days, we like to talk about, oh yeah, I remember when I did this, and I saved the game here, and we did all the, you know, we talked that up. Wouldn't it have been nice if I was in Jesus' position and I'm sitting there as a servant and he looks, I'd like to look up to Peter and say, you know I'm, I'm God, don't you? And I created you. You know I created those flowers over there. Well, he, he probably many times told them things like that, but they just didn't get it. But he wasn't burning at the heart that he had to all of a sudden do it. God let him trans on the Mount of Transformation. There were some things seen and, and there was bits and pieces. But generally speaking, he was disguised. Most people rejected him, even those who walked with him often turn their back on him. Peter, Peter wept over turning his back on him. He was disguised. His glory was veiled in manhood. <clears throat> so, are we getting a picture? What we want to do here is get a good view of humility because we want this mind to be in us and we're transformed by the Word of God. And if, if we can be humble, we have a better opportunity of unifying. That means that when we come back to the battles in the church, <clears throat> excuse me, and in our families, we can have a place of rest and, and recharge. It's a wonderful circle, isn't it? Let, remember, let this mind be in you. And in, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is the transformation of the gospel. It kind of makes us ashamed of our pride and desire to enhance my reputation in front of others. So it makes me want to be more like Jesus. We need to be more like Jesus for the sake of unity. We have to have a, a high esteem for others rather than carefully, carefully managing my own esteem. He humbled himself. In what way did he humble himself? <clears throat> Let me just mention a few. He was humbled that he was born into poverty among a despised people. He wasn't born into the Romans. He was a Jewish person. They were despised by many people. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate for a child in a, ch in a household. He didn't tell Mary, no way, Mom, I'm God. He didn't do that. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade, in an umber, humble trade of a builder. Somehow he was a carpenter. I heard he might have done some masonry work. Somehow he was building. What a great analogy. Thanks to God the Father and God the Son that had that plan. What a beautiful thing. He's a builder. He's building the church. <laughs> He's building our families. He's building um, a beautiful bride of Christ that's, that used to be an ugly sinner, and he's transforming them to be the bride of Christ, the beautiful spotless bride. He's a builder. He was humble in the temptations. He allowed and endured. He was humble in the weakness, hunger, thirst, and tiredness that he endured. He fell asleep in a boat. God doesn't fall asleep. He was a man. He was tired. He was humble in his total obedience to his heavenly Father. This is a big thing here. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Why should God have to suffer? What does God have to learn? He learned obedience. Um, he was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of the cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. And he was humble in the shame, mocking, and public humiliation, naked on the cross, death. The death of the cross. 
That's how he was humbled. And he became obedient unto the death, the death of the cross. So we're talking, we're almost through, maybe 10 minutes, I'm guessing, just to kind of set your clocks. I know where they say the mind can only take what the bottom can endure. <laughs> so wiggle around a little bit. <laughs> um, what we're talking about here to me, these, these verses are so special. If, if somebody who's like a theologian and they're in the Bible all the time and you say, I'm going to be in Philippians 2, verses like 6 through 8, they're going to go, wow, that is an open curtain, isn't it? It's really amazing. What we're talking about is really one of the climaxes of the gospel, the death of Jesus Christ for us, the pinnacle event of all time, really, up to now. I mean, the rapture is going to be great, too, in eternity. There's other things coming, but up till now, this is an amazing pinnacle. Most of us have heard it before, but it's so vital to have to, to it for us to have the love of Christ that we should. We need to be reminded of this. And it's so vital to our outlook on life that we can esteem others greater than ourselves because of that humility that we receive when we see Him as He is. So I want to, uh, this is a song. I grew up in a, or spent a lot of time in a Baptist church, and this was one of the hymns that, you know, I love to tell the story, to, to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. Then I'm going to fast forward to this. This is what involved most of y'all. I doubt anybody in this room has not heard the story of Jesus on the cross. But here's what I, uh, uh, my, some of my a verse that I loved in this song. It says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Instead of saying, I've heard that one before. They seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. There's something special about this, isn't This is the pinnacle of our redemption. Why we're not going to go to hell forever. Why we can go to heaven forever and live with Him in unity. While all this other world is being destroyed, other things falling apart, this is where it's at. Um, we could say this about every word of the God is inspired, the Bible is inspired. This is important to others, but what a curtain. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, about the humility of Christ. So, this was the only plan that could take away my sin and your sin. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you remember that? That was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had an idea, or could, didn't have an idea. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And it was so horrible. Mainly, not just the physical hurt of it all, and getting scourged and put on a cross and dying, taking, trying to take your breath, but the separation that God would do. He was always in fellowship with His Father, and His Father wouldn't be able to look at sin. For three hours, it was totally dark. Father, if it be possible. He prayed three times. This is the God the Son praying to God the Father. Why'd he, why would He ever deny a prayer? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's too much. It's a lot. I've never, I've never been without you. I love our fellowship. But you know what? It wasn't possible. And so then Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Is that humility? This is God saying that. God the Son is humble. Even, even, and then it says in verse uh, 8, look at, read there, and it says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient unto death. And it says one more thing there, what does it say? Even the death of the cross. We've already talked about that. But our king came from the throne of God all the way down to the cruel death of the cross. He was humble. So then we're almost through. I was going to go through verses 1 through 9, and we're in verse 9. So you can give it one more wiggle. <laughs> says, wherefore, now that refers to what's been said before. So, you know what we're getting ready to hear? We're getting ready to have the current open. What does God the Father think about this, all this? What is His thoughts? Wherefore, 
God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So how about that first Peter slide? If y'all are still active up there, it's been a while since I punched your button. So because of these things, what does God the Father think of this? Well, he's well pleased. He's well pleased. And this is the same principle that works out in Jesus' life. And and he he puts it out in 1 Peter for us to live in the good of this. And here's what he says. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's a mighty hand that God has, isn't it, as he moves through our life. We don't know where that's going to bring us. We may be sick. We may be paralyzed. We may uh, see a death of somebody. We may become millionaires you know, under the mighty hand of God. But it says in due time. That's not my timing. Again, we're submitting to God in all of these things. It's in due time, his timing. <sighs> Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Take the humble position for the good of others. Isn't that what we're talking about? For the unity? Take the humble position for the good of others. Leave it to God to bring us His great favor in due time. Because we know it's coming. There's great rewards in this. I'd I'd like to be highly exalted in God's way. Not my fleshly way, but in God's way. So, if the I don't know what musician's coming up. But thankfully, I'm coming to a close here. And I just want to kind of read a summary statement, okay? And then we're going to have one more verse to look at. Don't pop it yet, but the next one will be the last one. Hold it for a secret. Colossians. <laughs> we want to see it. Oh, no, that's all right. Just don't, can you, okay, it comes off good. Did anybody memorize that? <laughs> I don't think they read it. <laughs> I'm stalling while I get some water here. Almost through. So... Let me summarize some things, because it's always good. You know, we've talked about a lot of things. What, what's the point of this here? Well, in this world, we're going to have tribulation. And here's some other words you'll find. Conflict, sufferings, battles, endure hardness, laboring, that sort of thing. It's going to happen, isn't it? Jesus told us that. But we need unity in our churches as we rest from warfare. We also need unity in our families for mom and dad and all the children. We need unity in our churches for our pastors and staff and volunteers and, and, and the people who come and, and, and don't come often. And for people who come and hear the Word of God, we need unity. We need to recharge. Unity through humility. Esteem others better than yourself. Humility through the mind of Christ, which is in us. Activating that truth through the renewing of our mind by a lively study of God's powerful word. So, <clears throat> here on um, Philippians 4, we're not using Jesus Christ as an example anymore. We're going to say, Epaphras, who is one of you, and we're going to see what he did. I go to this first every week. I open my Bible and I want to read it because <laughs> I want to be like that. <laughs> let's, let's look at that. It says, Epaphras who is one of you, well, he's a servant of Christ. He salutes you. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. How about that for a Father's Day challenge? How would you like that child that's right there in Kristen, Billy, to have that support all his life, all their life? That you may 
you can pray for people fervently that they may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. That's another curtain to me. (laughs) And listen to this. You know how God's going to exalt them? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Look what he says in the word of God about Epaphras. For I bear him record. I circled that one. <laughs> he has a great zeal for you and them that are in the blessed, blessed Leos, Laodicea. So Paul mentioned in the word of God, I can almost picture at the Bama seats where we're getting our rewards. Our sin has been taken care of. He's going to say, Epaphras, come here. <laughs> you see those people over there? You cause them to be perfect and complete in all the will of God through your laboring and prayers because you're humble enough to do it because you caught the heart of Christ. That's our message. It's kind of a Father's Day message, but not really. This applies to mom, students, grandfathers-to-be in the waiting rest, and all that. So thank you for listening. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. And as always, you could come up here and ask me anything or pray with anybody else who's coming up. Uh, I know a lot of our leaders like to come up here. But I pray that the Word of God has touched your heart, that we might... Strive for that unity because those soldiers need some rest. Our pastor is a soldier, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful to give him one day of rest here in, in a different way. But let's give him a restful church like Paul wanted the, of the Philippians. Like John wanted them to walk in truth. And like Jesus said, that they be one. And there's one way to do that. He spelled it out. Esteem others greater than yourselves. Take on the the, the that's that element of Christ that cares for others and is willing to be a servant.